I think it's time, don't you? After all, it's been so long since a car company commissioned a full-on death squad and just sent it my way for the weekend. Therefore, let us canvas the issue about whether or not you should buy a Chinese-manufactured ute in Australia in the latter stages of 2022. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. <laughs> Australia only, which is somewhat disappointing if you are, I guess, from a properly civilised country, but if you are in the market for a car and you are you know, down there, website, card. Now, formalities out of the way. Here's a question I get all the time, several times every week. Variations on a theme. This one comes from a dude just like you, only named Mark Hackshaw, who goes, <coughs> if you could let me know what your thoughts were on the GWM Canon X regarding dealer manufacturer support, reliability, etc. You know your stuff. Dangerous assumption, MH. So I regard your opinion. I've driven one and looked at some online reviews. For the money, they seem like a fair proposition in comparison. Fairly technical and safety gear. Well done, Mark. That's almost English. I'm not looking for anything heavy towing or a rocket. Thanks for anything you can offer. Regards, MH. Well, thank you, Mark. I think there's a very deep can of worms there, and I will attempt to scrape my way right to the bottom of this particular barrel. The first thing I'd say is a lot of people seem to go into this proposition of buying a discount Chinese ute, and they think I'm almost getting a Hilux, Ranger, BT50, D-Max, Navara, Triton, whatever. Almost that, but for a lot less cash. And I don't think you are in many respects. And the, the three core issues are... Two of them, Mark pointed out, reliability and support. And the third one is, are you digging yourself a resale value grave? Okay? And you need to consider all of those things because it's not really much of a saving if you save money up front but just bleed it away to the god of depreciation while you own the bloody thing, right? And it's worth nearly nothing down the track. Now, I have taken this unprecedented step setting, you know, a, a dangerous precedent here of making actual notes, relying on actual facts. And you know you're dealing with a journalism professional when those facts are handwritten upside down on the back of a hardware store receipt. That's how we do it, okay? So let's talk about reliability and support. We might do support first, and it might be convenient to think of support as some sort of cultural thing, a bit sort of ephemeral, but there are fundamentals that underpin support. And the fundamental that underpins the capacity of a brand to support the product is sales volume, right? Because sales volume affects the number of retailers that the volume can sustain out there and competition between retailers is a seriously positive thing. They're going to want your servicing business. They're going to want the sales business and they're going to want to look after you because, you know, if you've got three or four dealers competing for your business in your area, then that's much better than having a local dealer and the next guy is like 400 k's away. And also, if you have a bit of a tanty with the service department of dealer A, it's always nice if they're not 400 k's away. The sales volume also affects 
things like the amount of investment onshore in technical training for service personnel and the onshore spare parts inventory and whether or not you might be waiting six friggin' months for some widget that just goes poopy in its trousers in your vehicle. And obviously with the mainstream utes, in particular the ones in the top 10 like the Triton and the Ranger and the Hilux, they sell in such large volumes that the manufacturers can do a lot of support. They can have a lot of parts onshore and things of that nature, okay? Just to put this in perspective, GWM Havel sold about 8,500 vehicles in the first six months of this year. And that's up about 1,000 units year on year. So what's that about? Yeah. 17% or something growth. Havel accounts for 5,600 of those units, whereas the Great Wall Ute, the 4x4, is only about 2,700 out of 8,500 for the first six months. So Great Wall has been here for donkey's years, and I know they had that uh, fiasco, you might call it, or it was, it was more of a kind of made-up crisis with asbestos in the head gaskets. This is years ago, right? And that could have put a dent in its reputation. Much of this hysteria was undeserved because head gaskets are not the kind of thing that owners or even service technicians come into contact with all that often. I mean, most mainstream cars go to their friggin' grave with the head gasket intact, right? So this was uh, overblown, but it might have put a dent in their volumes. This was about 2015 from memory. So I can't see it being that. There has to be some reason why they just don't have traction, why they're not selling their tits off. Because here's a ute for 20 or 30 grand less than the mainstream Japanese players. And I say it like, you know, Japanese, because all of the mainstream utes except Amarok the Japanese ones, and even the Ranger, they all come from Thailand. They've never seen the sunrise in the land of the rising sun. So, you know, are, are they still Japanese? The brands are Japanese. The Utes come from Thailand, right? The Amarok, at least for the time being, the current one, comes from Argentina, world capital of corruption. Whereas uh, I think they're going to change that when the new model evolves and it's a sort of rebadged Ranger. But anyway, that's the origination story for Utes. Now... When you look at LDV, okay, they've sold about 7,000 units so far this year, and they're kind of neatly split between four key products, and the D90 SUV is the big seller with about 2,000 units for the first six months of this year, and then the Deliver 9 van and the G10 People Mover van thing, uh, and the T60 Ute, they're all about 1,500. Actually, the T60 sells about 1,600 units. And there has to be a reason for that too, because it's kind of cheap. Like the price range for the LDV is from 36000 to 43000 which is a substantial saving over and above what you're going to pay for a roughly equivalent mainstream ute, okay? And the Great Wall is slightly more expensive, but only, you know, a bee's dick. It's 39000 to about forty five and a half, and they're both drive-away prices, so substantially less than a mainstream accepted ute. And the specs are up there in both cases. The GWM is a little bit lower in some of the specs, like they're both two litres of turbo diesel. The LDV is a bi-turbo, so it's got this two-stage forced induction thing, whereas I think the GWM is a single turbo and the power outputs reflect that. 
It's 120 kilowatts and 400 newton meters for the Great Wall, whereas you get 160 and 500 for the LDV. To put this in perspective, the Ranger 2-litre twin-turbo engine is 154 and 500. So the T60 is right up there with the 2-litre Ranger in terms of the engine outputs, whereas the Great Wall Motors is a little bit down because of its less forced induction, okay? Uh, ZF 8-speed auto in both cases. The T60 is also available as a 6-speed manual, so there's that. They both got 3-ton tow capacity and... Tow capacity is grossly overblown in my view because you are an idiot if you... Say something definite, why don't you? You're an idiot if you tow something that weighs more than the curb mass of the vehicle. And for utes, this means don't tow more than two tonnes, dude. Just don't do it. It's a bad idea because trailers, pig-type trailers, the ones with the centralised axle groups, they are inherently unstable in pitch, which is where your head goes forward and back towards and away from the dash, and in yaw, which is like spinning around on a stool, okay? And this means that the restraint of the trailer in pitch and yaw is provided by the vehicle doing the towing, okay? And obviously, the greater the disparity in the masses, the heavier the trailer in relation to the vehicle doing the towing, the more likely it is that the trailer just one day when, you know, the window opens badly one day, the trailer can just pick up the vehicle in front and throw it down the road into the oncoming traffic or onto its roof where you can park sideways against a tree at, you know, 100 k's an hour. Definitely not good. So, in my view, if you leave the equation like I just suggested, two tonnes and two tonnes, a two-tonne thing towing a two-tonne thing is reasonably conservative and safe, and therefore all manufacturers' maximum tow specifications for these sort of utes and bigger SUVs, they're all bullshit. They're just in a race with each other, and if you tow three tonnes or three and a half tonnes, you're a wombat, okay? I'll get some hate from that, but that's the way this works, okay? Now, I'd suggest that there's also some evidence about LDV, and I like the look of that T60, and it seems to be pretty well sorted out mechanically, but I'd suggest if you're thinking about buying a T60 in particular, you need to say to yourself, well, is there evidence for support, right? And if you want to find the evidence for support, just go to Google and type in Timothy Rigby, just like Eleanor Rigby's big brother or something, and LDV, Timothy Rigby LDV, and you will get a judgment from the Queensland Consumer Tribunal, okay? Basically, Timothy Rigby is a dude who worked at a surf club in Queensland on the Gold Coast. I think it was the Gold Coast. Anyway, and his T60, which was a cheat notes, 2018 model. This judgment is recent too. It's a September 21 judgment, right? So not ancient history, not enough time to affect cultural change. Anyway, Tim parks his uh, ute at the surf club where he works, right? And it's like surf clubs are, it's pretty close to the beach. And anyway, it starts to rust. And the dealer, Von Bibra, which is located between the coast and a saltwater canal, incidentally, and LDV, like the first respondent and the second respondent in this court case, they essentially brush him. 
to the point where he takes them to the consumer tribunal and he wins, okay? So the dealer and LDV have to effect a full refund for him and take his vehicle back and that egg on the face all round because the court has determined that that vehicle is made of, quote, low-quality materials, which is not something that I would want to see in my friggin' brochure if I was trying to break into the most popular segment of vehicles in the country. Okay, so anyway, you can read the detail about how LDV and the dealer behaved like a pack of pork chops in this instance. And you have to say to yourself, well, are they going to change as a consequence of this judgment? And or am I opening the door to being just bent over and given a 40 grit enema if I've got some problem? And nobody wants that. Not even, you know, 60 grit would be unacceptable. What you want when there's a problem with your vehicle is you want someone to walk out of the service department and say, yes, I see what you're talking about. We'll handle it, right? And Tim Rigby didn't get that. And that's sort of black and white evidence verified by a court, okay? And I'd also suggest in the case of Great Wall, why is it that they've been in the market for something like 10 years and they still don't have substantial traction? Like, I'd suggest that 2,700 Great Wall 4x4 Utes for six months of the year after 10 years in the market, in a market that just can't get enough Utes, that's got to tell you something because let's go back in time. If you were one of the first buyers 10 years ago of a Great Wall Ute and you were happy with it, what are you going to do in three to five years? You're going to buy another one. And when you're down the pub, you're going to be razzing up all your mates saying that they paid too much for their Hiluxes and Rangers, whatever, aren't you? You're going to be giving it to them because you essentially got the same thing for less money. And there's no numeric evidence that that is happening, right? If you could go out there and get the equivalent of a Ranger, Hilux, Navara, Triton, BT-50, whatever, if you could get that for $30,000 less, then these things would just be selling as fast as they could get them off the boats. And for some reason, they're just not. The warranty is pretty good. They put the warranty up there in lights. It's five years and 130 in the case of LDV, and it's seven years and unlimited for Great Wall. But I'd suggest that warranty is only as good as the culture of the organisation providing it. Consumer law is a constant that hypothetically trumps warranty in every case, and it, it means that vehicles have to be reasonably durable even in the context of after the warranty, right? So seven, eight, nine years down the track, if something that should have lasted longer fails prematurely, consumer law still protects you, but you really do have to fight hard and dig deep into your own pockets if the other team play hardball against you in consumer court, right? And the other thing about taking action in consumer court is that it's very rare for consumer courts to award costs, which means that even if you win, you're going to pay for your own lawyer, right? It's quite rare for them to do that. The other team have to behave like properly egregious bastards for you to get costs, your costs awarded to them, like they've got to pay your costs, okay? If you want to look for an example of that, look at uh, 
Sally Morphy, M-O-R-P-H-Y. Google Sally Morphy Land Rover. And Land Rover was such egregious cocks in the case of that shitbox Range Rover that costs were awarded in that case. So not only did they have to refund the money in full, but Land Rover had to pay Ms. Morphy's costs and also the cost of the dealer. The dealer was actually not too bad in this case, but the underlying organisation, Land Rover Australia, were proper bastards. And the evidence for that is that costs were awarded and Land Rover had to pay like more than $100,000 in legal fees for the dealer and more than a hundred for Ms. Morphy as well as refund the vehicle. So instead of just fixing the friggin' problem, it ended up costing them six or $700,000. And this is a happy story for consumers, right? But it's also very rare. If you just go into it and they're only sort of mundane bastards against you, then you're going to pay for your own lawyer. And it may not therefore be worthwhile joining the fight, right? So this is all something to consider. And I'd suggest that you kind of know what you're getting into with the other mainstream players. Like, you know that Toyota's pretty good. You know that Mitsubishi is pretty good at customer support. You know that Ford is kind of bad at quality and support, but you know what you're getting into. They're a known quantity. Mazda's okay. I think uh, Isuzu Ute is pretty terrible as well. So it's not as if... It's not as if LDV is the only terrible player in customer support. There are plenty of terrible players in the mainstream. It's just that they're less known and Great Wall, same sort of thing, because there are just fewer vehicles out there on the road. So there's fewer people running the mad reliability experiment and therefore fewer people taking the fight to them in consumer court where evidence is publicly known. The only case I know of with LDV is Timothy Rigby. And if you are thinking of you know, jumping that way, it makes pretty interesting reading. And then you can just make an informed decision about whether or not you're going to save 20, 30 something thousand bucks. If you are going to save that 20, 30, whatever thousand bucks up front, like happy days, dude, great. But you got to weigh it up against maybe having to do a Timothy Rigby, right, and take them to court if something goes horribly wrong. And also, you're going to have to weigh up what's the depreciation. So it's no good saving $20,000 up front if you incur $20,000 more depreciation over five or six years or something. If that happens, you might as well have just bought the Hilux or the Ranger or the Triton, Navara, whatever, something that's going to have better resale value at the end of the term. It, cheap up front is a absolute false economy, an economically irrational proposition if you pay just as much in depreciation. So if you are thinking about buying one of these utes as a sort of discount near equivalent to a mainstream ute. You've got to weigh all that up. The only other thing is I think there might be a real case for one of these Chinese utes if you're thinking about buying a used mainstream ute because, dude, a lot of used mainstream utes have been flogged. They've been properly whipped within an inch of their friggin' life and they've done a lot of hard work, either off-road or towing some acoustically transparent aluminium chitois to Dingo Piss Creek friggin' endlessly, or they've just carried a lot of heavy shit to a building site and back every day, landscaping, whatever, okay? 
new car smell, full warranty, having not been thrashed for five years or something, there's a case for these upstart Chinese utes if you're thinking about buying one of those utes for the same cash because you know it hasn't been thrashed. It's got the full warranty and it may not be as good as a brand new one, but it might be better than a thrashed used ute. So anyway, I hope this has helped you contextualize all of that. I'm not saying it's a dead set bad idea to buy a Chinese ute. I'm just saying it's not the same thing as buying one of the more popular mainstream brand new utes.